0: There are life-changing events that happen to us, and there's life-changing events that happen to us at different times in our lives, and they can be huge and monumental, like being born. That's pretty massive when it comes to a life-changing event for you, right? And then there's growing up, maybe it's your first boyfriend or your first girlfriend that you ever had, and you're like, man, this is significant, this is amazing. She checked the box, yes. She said she'll be my girlfriend, we're going out. Maybe it's the first time you actually go out on a date with somebody. And then, of course, there's the the life-changing event of getting married, when all of a sudden you're off the market, you put this little ring on that basically just tells people, hey, back off, I'm taken, Um, and and that's what you get to do, and then that's significant, that's monumental, that's massive, that's life-changing, and then you have a kid, and and that's life-changing, because now all of a sudden you're responsible for this tiny human being that needs you for literally everything, like they can do nothing by themselves. And then there's the life-changing event of having twins, which it just is, it's on a whole different level and an entirely different plane. And then there's the life-changing event of having five kids uh, at one time under the same roof and going, God, why uh, did you smile upon me so much and bless me with all of these progeny and offspring? But there's life-changing events. There's things that happen to us and it changes everything, right? Right? Some of you guys can think of your own life-changing events and what's happened in your life that's changed the course of your life dramatically. Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a, a hard thing, it's a trial, it's a valley that you've walked through that's left you different on the backside than you were on the front side of that valley. But there's, if you, you're here tonight, and you would say, yes, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, there's a life-changing event that's happened to you, and that's when you first encountered the gospel and you responded in faith and repentance. You said, yes, I hear that. I understand that I need Jesus, that I'm a sinner and I need my sins to be forgiven. And I recognize that Jesus has died on the cross for my sins and he's forgiven me, God has forgiven me because now I have put my faith and my trust in Jesus as my savior and as my Lord and and I'm repenting, I'm turning from everything that I once was, all my sins to follow after him. That changes everything. In fact, that changes everything more than any other event that could ever happen to us. It's the most life-encompassing change that any of us could ever experience. What Christ has done for us, what he did for you and I on the cross has changed everything about our lives. And that's what the text that we're going to study together tonight talks about. It's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I'm gonna start and read through verse 22 out of Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. The writer of Hebrews was writing this letter to a a group of people who were being tempted. And what they were being tempted by is they were being tempted to go back to Judaism. They're, they were professing Christians. Some of them were genuine Christians. Others were just saying, hey, I'm kind of along for the ride to see what's going on, and this kind of entertains me. But some of them were dropping off. They were dropping back. They were returning to their old way of life because they were feeling the heat turned up on their walk with Christ. It was beginning, beginning to become uh, difficult to be a, a Christian. So the writer of Hebrews was writing to them to encourage them and to remind them that Jesus is better, The Jesus is better than anything else. That he is the the, the best uh, the best answer to all of our problems. And as he's writing, he, he talks a lot about the Old Testament law and the Old Testament sacrificial system. Because again, he's writing to people that want to go back to that. They're thinking, man, uh, you know what? Moses was better. The laws were better. The priesthood was better that we had prior to this. And so he's writing saying, hey, look, no, Jesus is better. Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus has done what none of them could ever do. And in chapter 10, the writing, has just been telling us all about how Jesus has offered one sacrifice for all time, and it's done. It is finished, and He is seated at the right hand of God. And now he's waiting until he's going to come back for his bride, the church. And he's reminding them and saying, "Look, the Old Testament priest, they had to offer it daily. There was was nothing that the Old Testament priest could actually do to to take away sins. But Jesus has done it once for all time. And that's where we pick up. And he says, look, he's opened up this way to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Think back to the Old Testament and the Old Testament tabernacle. And then ultimately the, the temple. In fact, if you've been doing our daily Bible reading along with us, which I would encourage all of you guys to do. We've just been reading about the glory of the Lord filling the temple, filling the Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the place where only the high priest of Israel once a year was allowed to enter in and therefore to to enter in to make atonement, to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people Israel. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, we... Are different from that. We can enter the holy of holies. We can enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the household of God. But think back for just a moment to the the way that the Old Testament saints had to approach God. Exodus chapter 19 comes before Exodus chapter twenty. This is simple math. It's not trick questions, okay? Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 20, you've got the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 19, you've got Israel gathering together at the foot of Mount Sinai, ready to have Moses go up and receive the the Ten Commandments from God. And, And God's calling Israel together. Listen to how God's described here. It says this. It says in verse 16, on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings. And a thick cloud on top of the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. That's a pretty intense scene, isn't it? I mean, you've got the the entire mountain shaking under the weight of the glory of God. You've got this loud trumpet blast coming out of nowhere, growing louder and louder and louder so that the people that are gathered there at the foot of the mountain are shaking in fear. And they see smoke rising up from the mountain, and they see the flames from the glory of God descending on the mountain. And then Moses speaks, and God answers, and it says that God answers him in thunder. When's the last time that you had that vision of God as you were approaching him? Or think about what the Old Testament saints had to do to to enter into the presence of God. Leviticus chapter 16 talks about that great high priest who would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the day of atonement. But before he did that, he had to make sure that he was consecrated, that he was washed, that he was cleaned. He had to offer sacrifices on his behalf so that he could enter into the Holy of Holies. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would do everything exactly according to the prescribed law, because if he messed up, if he did something flippantly, if he sinned before the presence of the glory of God while he was in the Holy of Holies, his life was over. When's the last time you and I had that fear when we bowed our heads and we said, dear God, I mean, think about what the cross means for you and I and how much of a a game changer it is for us, how much the gospel changes everything when it comes to our access to God. The cross is an enormous blessing and privilege to us when it comes to that that we don't have to go before a great high priest and wait for the holy of holies and wait for the day of atonement and and we're not sitting there hearing God speak to us in thunder and seeing the mountain shake and the smoke rise up and the fires descending upon the the peak of the mountain. We have access to the Lord. Access how? Through what? Through prayer. We have access to God through prayer. Prayer. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, earlier in this letter that we're in in our text tonight, the author says this in Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence, with confidence. That's something that that the Israelites lacked when they were going into the presence of God. But the writer of Hebrews is, is saying, we can have confidence when we go in before the Lord. He said, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Guys, we hear that and it's so familiar to us if we've grown up in the church, but that is an enormous statement. Man, if if Abraham heard that, if Moses heard that, if Joshua heard that, if David heard that, if Solomon heard that, if Isaiah heard that, if Jeremiah heard that, if Daniel heard that, he would be like, that is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. How do I get that? How can I have that confidence? How can I have that, that access to God? The writer of Hebrews says we have that because of what Christ has done. He's opened a new and living way for us. He is our great high priest. He is the one that's interceding on our behalf. And so now you and I, we can bow our heads, we can say, dear God, and all of a sudden we are in the very presence of the Lord. We are at the throne of God. The access that we enjoy through prayer is one of the greatest blessings that any of us have as followers of Christ and yet it's one of the most neglected blessings that any of us have as followers of Christ. Tonight I wanna challenge us to start to change that. I wanna challenge you to a renewed commitment to take advantage of the the privilege that is prayer. To make that a priority in your life. Point number one tonight is this, use the privilege of prayer. Use the privilege of prayer. So apparently the uh, the Jonas Brothers are, are back, aren't they? That's what I hear at least. Their first time around, they were a little after my time. Their second time around, apparently they're a thing, right? Like we like the Jonas Brothers, some people out there, yes, no, maybe, okay. Anyways, uh, they're back and they're touring and they're gonna be at the Honda Center in October and no, I didn't buy you guys tickets to that. But I did look up the prices of tickets. A backstage pass to the Jonas Brothers, a a VIP pass to the Jonas Brothers concert in uh, October at the Honda Center is over $1,700. $1,700. $1,700. But that gets you access to the Jonas Brothers. You and however many other suckers are going to pay that, right? It gets you to, to be able to go backstage and to meet them, to even touch them. Wow, right? I'm never going to wash that hand again, that, that whole experience. You get to be in their presence where other people aren't. You get that, that privilege to be back there. Now imagine if somebody that knew that you were just, man, a huge Jonas Brother fan, was like, you know what, I I want to bless that person. I'm going to buy them backstage passes to the Jonas Brothers concert in October. And this person doesn't have a lot of money. They don't have $1,758 or whatever it is to to spend on that. But they love you so much that they're like, you know what, I'm I'm going to save. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save up. I'm going to make sure that I've got enough. And I'm going to buy these passes for this person because they love the Jonas Brothers. And all of a sudden, a week before the concert comes and they show up at your house and they knock on your door and they say, Francesca, I know you are crazy about the Jonas Brothers and so I bought these tickets for you, I hope that you go and enjoy the concert. And you just go out of your mind, right? You just receive it with joy. You're like, man, this is the greatest gift anyone has ever given me. Nick and, what are their names even? I don't even, Bob and Steve Jonas are just like, they've never met a super fan like I am. I've got their posters on the wall. I love the Jonas Brothers. I can't wait to go to this concert. The day comes, you're all ready. You go to the concert, you're talking to people. You're like, hey, I've got backstage passes. Look at this privilege I've got. I've got backstage passes. Hey, did you know I've got backstage passes? Somebody gave it to me and yeah, it cost them a lot, but they gave these to me, and you show up at the concert and you walk in and you go sit in the upper deck and you just sit on your backstage passes the whole night. You listen from up there. It's a mediocre concert. You get in your car and you drive home and you never use the backstage pass. How do you think your friend who scrimped and saved and worked so hard would feel about that? How do you think anyone would feel about that? They would look at you and think, What? You're a fool. Why didn't you use those? You had access. You had this, this privilege to go backstage, to be with them, to meet them. These people that you care so much about, or at least that you say you care so much about. But you went and sat up in the nosebleed with everybody else and you didn't even use them. What a waste, right? But guys, isn't that us with prayer so much? Think about it. The cost that was paid for you to have access to the throne of God with the words, dear God. The cost of Christ on the cross, dying for your sins, to open the way, to be that once for all sacrifice so that you don't have to go in and have a priest offer a lamb for you to be forgiven, to be able to to go in and, and, and do your worship and then leave. No, you have access at any place, at any time to the throne of God and yet so often we just, we don't use it. It's like having those backstage passes and sitting in the nosebleeds. It's a waste, and we need to begin to, to use it so much more. What God has done for us to open that door, to open that curtain. He says there in the text in verses 19 through 21, he talks about how our heart has been sprinkled clean, it's been made new. Way back in Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Ezekiel 36 verse 26, the the prophet there talks about how God will remove the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. That takes place at at conversion, the heart of stone, the heart that's hardened against God, that's that's calloused against God, that's hostile to God. God removes that from us and gives us this heart of stone that's now cleansed and, and able to be acceptable before him. But then it says that that we ourselves have been cleansed as well. It says that your bodies have been washed by the water. In Hebrews chapter nine, verses 13 through 14, we we learn about that same concept of the fact that the sacrifice of Christ has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. It's it's made us acceptable. It's purified us. And then it also says in the text that Jesus is our great high priest. Hebrews seven twenty five. one of my favorite verses in the Bible says that Jesus now lives to make intercession for us. He's able to save to the uttermost, it says, those who draw near through him because he lives to make intercession for us. So right now, your savior, Jesus, is before the throne of God interceding on your behalf. What does that mean, interceding? It means when you sin, his intercession says, that sin is covered by my blood, I've paid for that. That sin is paid for. It's atoned for. He's still acceptable. She's still acceptable. Because I've covered them in my blood, I've forgiven them. And so you are qualified. You're qualified to enter in. It says in the text there in Hebrews chapter 10, again, in full assurance of faith. Faith. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder, God, are you going to accept me? Are you going to hear me? Are you going to love me? Because of the cross, because of Jesus Christ, because of his death on your behalf, you can come before the throne at any time in full assurance of faith. So here's my challenge to you this week. Are you ready? I'm gonna have three specific application challenges in, in, in this message. Here's the first one. I want you to commit this week to pray for five minutes a day, every day. For some of you, you think, well, that's no big deal. I already do that. Awesome. Add five minutes to whatever you're already praying. For some of you guys, you think, man, five minutes, that's, whew, that sounds like a, a lot. And if you're not praying very much right now, five minutes is a lot for you to start with. But here's what I want you to do, okay? Commit, number one, say, yes, I'm on board, I'm going to do that. Prayer is valuable, it's important, it's been purchased for me. Jesus, open the way to the throne of God, I want to use the privilege of prayer. So commit to that, but, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit down and I want you to start, just make a list of people and things that you can pray for. Start with that. Make a list: people and things that you can pray for. Just write down some names. Write down some things that you can pray for. And then, when you have that list, then I want you to pull out your phone. I want you to open up your, your little clock app here, and I want you to go to the, the timer. And mine's set at five minutes because I've been doing this with you guys this week, or ahead of you. But I'm, I've been doing this as as well. And I want you to, to set the timer, and I want you to hit start on your phone, and I want you to start praying. And have your phone volume up so that when that that timer goes off, you'll know it's over because the the alarm will will hit. And here's what I'm going to bet if I were a a betting man. I'm going to bet that most of you are going to blow by five minutes. That when you think about everything that you can pray for, that you can thank God for, that you can ask the Lord for, that you can praise God for and worship him for, when you think of of all of those things in your life that that you can put down there and people in your life that you need to pray for, other people's prayer requests, their salvation, things like that, praying for for gospel opportunities. When you start to go through that, you're gonna hit five minutes and you're gonna be a, a, a halfway through, a third of the way through, a quarter of the way through, and you're gonna be like, wow, that went by so quickly. Don't stop, keep going. Hit the reset button on your timer and just keep going. And just keep going. But I want you to start and just commit to five minutes a day every day this week to use the privilege of prayer, to start to to cultivate that pattern and that habit in your life. Because guys, the reason why we don't pray is not because we don't have the time or the ability to pray. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you can pray. You don't have to have flowery, ornate, theologically verbose prayers. They can be simple prayers. And God's gonna hear you. So it's not about ability, it's not about time. The problem is it's, it's something that we just ignore because we become so familiar with this idea that we can say, dear God, and all of a sudden we're at the throne of God. It's so familiar to us. And the, the, the familiarity of it is, is something that's good in one way, but it's also something that's, that's detrimental in another. In fact, it's one of the greatest threats to us because when something becomes familiar to us, we can become apathetic about that thing. We take it for granted. It's like, well, yeah, of course, prayer. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm a Christian, so yeah, prayer is that. It's that thing. We do that. I pray before I eat. I pray before I go to bed. I pray with people sometimes. I bow my head in church. It's, it's prayer. It's Christianity. It's prayer. We become apathetic about what it costs so that we can pray. We become apathetic about who we're praying to, and, and what apathy does is it breeds spiritual stagnancy. If you guys have ever walked out after some rain and and maybe it's been a week and then you walk outside and you didn't realize you, you forgot you had this bucket outside or this flower pot that's empty outside and you walk up to it and it's got this water sitting in it and it's in the middle of the summer and that water is just gross and nasty. It's stagnant water, right? There's no freshness to it. There's no movement to that water. It's just putrid, right? Well, that's what our spiritual lives can become like if we become so familiar that we become apathetic. It it will produce a, a spirituality in us that's just stagnant. There's no growth. There's no movement. There's no progression. There's no freshness to our walks with Christ. But think about it. You can pray to the God of all creation. There's not a problem you have that he doesn't have the answer to. There's not a need that you have, that he can't meet. And because of Jesus and what he's done for us, we can come to him literally at any time. That's amazing. It's a huge privilege that we enjoy, but we need to use it more. This idea about prayer is good news because as the writer of Hebrews continues, we're gonna need that because Christianity is, is marked by perseverance as well. This idea of following Jesus, is, it, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy proposition. We've talked about that before, right? The things that Jesus said to, to describe what it looks like to follow me, to follow him. Take up your cross and follow me, right? That's, that's, uh, that's not roses and daisies and name it and claim it and driving Ferraris and everything else. That's, that's hard. If anyone wishes to find his life, he's gonna, what, lose it? Wow, that's, that's hard. There's times that, that being a Christian, plenty of you in this room have experienced this. There's times that being a Christian is hard. And so the writer says, not only has what Jesus done for us opened the door for us to go before the Lord and pray, but then he continues on there and he also says in verse 23, he says, let us also, because of what Jesus has done for us, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast, hold fast. The writer of Hebrews likes that phrase. He uses it multiple times in verse three or chapter three, verse six. Chapter 3, verse 6, let us hold fast our confidence. In chapter 4, verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. In chapter 6, verse 18, let us hold fast to our hope. And in chapter 10, here in our text, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. It means guarding, preserving, maintaining. It's such a good phrase that he uses because we all get it, we all understand it. We all understand what it's like to to hold on to something tight, don't we? To have that white knuckled grip on something, like I'm not gonna let this go, I'm gonna hold on for dear life. First time you're on the monkey bars when you're growing up, right, and you step off that first step there and you're like, I'm gonna die. This is it. I didn't even write my will and testament I haven't even gone to elementary school yet. I'm just, I'm going to die on the monkey bars. And you have a white knuckle grip on those bars, right? And you don't realize that your dad's there holding you up and you're never gonna fall, but, but you're like, I'm, this is it. We know what it's like to hold fast to something. My wife and I do regularly when we take our kids places and there's streets and there's cars, right? Because whatever part of the brain that says, hey, there's danger if a large steel object hits you and runs you over, hasn't formed yet in any of their minds. And so when we're there, we're grabbing the hands of our little ones and we are holding fast to their hands as we cross the street. So that they're not gonna be in any danger because we've got them, because we're holding on to them, because we're guarding them, we're preserving them, we're protecting them. Well, the writer of Hebrews says that we need to do that with the confession of our hope which is what? It's the gospel. Hold fast to that confession that you made when you said that, yes, I need Christ. When you repented from your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are holding fast to them. The reason we have to do that is because this world isn't set up to encourage us in that pursuit, is it? That's why John said, do not love the world or the things in the world the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. He said those things are not from God, but are from the world. And so when we think about the world that we live in, or you think about Romans chapter eight, when Paul talks about we need to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh, and those two are set against one another. Galatians chapter five, those two are are at odds with one another. We live in a world where we need to make sure that we have a tight and firm grip on our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That there's no doubts. There's no questions. We're not wavering is what the writer of Hebrews said. That we are firmly resolved to say that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. This is what I believe and that nothing is going to change my mind on this. Second point tonight is this. Hold fast to your faith. Hold fast to your faith. Are you confident in what you believe? Are you confident in the gospel, in what's contained in the gospel. If you're not, I I wanna encourage you, there's resources available to you to help you, to encourage you, to bolster your faith and your confidence there. We went through a series last year called Fact or Fiction that went through some of these questions that the world challenges us with about the reliability of the Bible or about truth and how can we know truth. And we went through that in this room and we talked about a lot of the reasons why we can hold fast to our confession in the face of this world. Pastor Mike has got great resources on Compass Life or on, not on Compass Life, on uh, Focal Point, Focal Point U. You can go on there from Compass Night and you can watch some of his stuff that he's done on the cults and some of his stuff that he's done on, on other apologetic resources and you can be bolstered to hold fast to your confession of faith. When you think about it, it's this question, are, are you ready to have your faith cost you? because that's why we need to hold fast, because there's gonna be things that happen to us in this life that are gonna be tempting us to let go. Remember the writers addressing these people in this letter that were tempted to let go of their confession of the faith of the gospel to return back to Judaism because nobody was really persecuting the Jews at this time. But the church was a different subject. People were turning up the heat on, on Christians. So they were being tempted to to let go of Christ and let go of the gospel to return back to that. And so the question for us is, are, are we ready to have the heat turned up on us? Are you ready to be mocked for your faith? Are you ready for some of you who are in school right now, are you ready to be failed because of a paper that you turn in that embraces and takes a biblical worldview on a subject? Are you ready to be fired? Those of you who are in work environments. If you're put in a position where the question is, let go of your confession of the hope that's within you or be fired. Are you ready to be fired? Or maybe you're in a relationship, not even a dating relationship. Maybe you're just in a a group of friends that are not helping you in your pursuit of Christ. Christ. It's regressive sanctification, not progressive sanctification. Are you ready to end relationships in order to hold fast to the confession of your hope in Christ? It may seem like a big ask here to think about some of those things. Your grades suffering, your, your, your income suffering by being fired, your, your social circle suffering your your emotions suffering by letting go of some relationships there's even the extreme of saying man if if somebody shows up and says hey if you're a follower of christ you're dead tonight are are you willing to say okay i'm I'm ready to go tonight even thinking about that far and going man that is a big tall ask that you're throwing out there but that's why the rest of verse 23 is so encouraging Because he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Hold fast because you are being held onto tighter than you're holding onto Christ. Who is faithful? God. God is faithful. And what is he faithful to? To the promises that he's made regarding you. Promises that he's going to forgive our sins and our trespasses. In fact, it's it's there in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful. Faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only that, he's, he's faithful to make us righteous with the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 21. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. God is faithful to that promise. He's faithful to the promise that he's going to raise us up to new life with Christ. Just as he was raised from the dead to walk in newness of life, so too might we be raised from the dead to walk in newness of life. Christ was raised as the first fruit of those who will follow. We are the ones who will follow. God is faithful to that promise so we can hold fast to the confession of our faith. He's faithful John 14, to go and prepare a place for us. You remember what Jesus said there? He said, look, it's good that I go because if I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again to bring you to where I am. That's a promise that Jesus has made that he will be faithful to so you can hold fast to the confession of your hope in the face of any opposition that this world throws at you. And then there's the promise in Revelation 21 where he's gonna wipe away every tear from your eyes. I mean, death will be no more. Sin will be no more. Sorrow will be no more. Sickness, disease, death will be no more. Because God is faithful to that promise. And so you can hold fast. And you say, man, it's a, a tall task to hold fast and, and to sacrifice for my relationship with Christ. Yes, it is. But it's worth it because of what he has promised. And he who has promised these things to you is faithful. My second challenge to you tonight is this. I want you to memorize this verse this week. Commit this verse to memory. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Memorize that this week. Go over it daily. Prayer is a huge blessing that we gain because of the life-changing event of being saved and in our resolve to hold fast this commitment is another part of that, that, that now we hold fast because we are being held. Because he who promises is faithful. But the, the third and final part of this equation tonight is the church. That's the church. God has placed those of, of you in this room in one another's lives for a purpose. God has created the church, designed the church for a purpose. He could have designed Christianity to be a, a hermit religion. Go live on the beach in a cave and chill by yourself, and I'll come back for you at some point. But he didn't. He, it says in Acts chapter 20 that Jesus bought the church with his blood. He didn't buy you as an individual to just chill by yourself with his blood. He bought this group, the church, with his blood. When you are saved, you are saved and you are brought into a community of other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to hit it again tonight. Chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And you can look sideways at the people that aren't here tonight because of these verses. Just kidding, don't do that. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near there. Let me start at the end and work my way backwards. The day drawing near there, it's the the day of the return of Jesus, which is the end of the church when he comes back for his bride and we go up to be with him, right? The church is here on earth with work to do until, until that day. And until that day, we need to be gathering together, not neglecting to meet together. We need to make this a priority in our lives to be involved in one another's lives and we need to do that with intentionality because notice what he says. He says, let us consider. It doesn't happen passively. Passively to have a healthy body of believers, to have a healthy community, a healthy group, is going to involve intentionality. It's going to involve work on our part, each of our parts. As we are getting ready to show up, as we are getting ready to come to this place, we need to do so with thoughtfulness and mindfulness. Biblical friendship doesn't just happen because you go to the same church or the same Bible study. It involves work. It involves being focused to think, how can I encourage this person? How can I stir this person up? And so I want you to think about this. When you show up on a a Sunday night, I want to ask you, do you you come thinking intentionally about encouraging another person that's in this group when you show up on a Sunday night? Do you come thinking, okay, God, how are we going to use me to spur somebody else in this group on to, to good works tonight? How can I be a positive impact on somebody else's life tonight? Do you come with that mindset? That mindset that's like, hey, you know what? I'm not here to be a consumer. I'm not here just to take in. I'm here to give tonight. I'm here because I want to, to encourage somebody tonight. I want to build somebody up tonight. The author of Hebrews says this, this phrase. He uses this word, stir up. Stir up. It's a unique word in, in the Greek because every other instance, it's, it's a negative idea. It's being provoked. It's being prodded, right? It's that like annoying friend that you've got that just sits there and taps you on the shoulder and you're like, will you stop? What do I need to do to get you to just leave me alone, right? That's how we should be in each other's lives but towards the end of good works and towards the end of prayer, towards the end of encouragement. You need to be th- that, that person that's like, dude, how can I encourage you? No, talk to me, how can I, what, what, what was your week like? How was it good, how was it bad? How can I pray for you? Hey, you you brought this up last week. How did that go? You need to be that person in one another's lives. You need to be stirring up one another. You guys ever had a rock in your shoe trying to walk someplace and you're like, yeah, I can handle it. It's no big deal. I'm fine. And you keep going for a while and then the the rock shifts and there's like this jagged edge and it hits right there in the arch of your foot and you you scream in pain and you fall on the ground in the fetal position? That never happened to you? Okay. But that idea of that, that rock in the shoe and you can't forget about it, right? It's there until you deal with it. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to be a pebble in the shoe in one another's lives when it comes to encouraging people, stirring people up, Towards love and good works. In fact, it's point number three tonight. It's this, be a pebble in the shoe of complacency. Be a pebble in the shoe of complacency. Y'all, here's the reality. We need each other whether we like each other or not. Because when life gets difficult, the people in this room are gonna be the people that are there standing next to you. They're gonna be the ones that are there that are encouraging you with that biblical hope and that biblical perspective that you need during that time. They're gonna be the ones that are there that are gonna be able to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. They're gonna be the ones that are there that don't care what it is that has happened to you or what it is that you've done. They're gonna be there and they're gonna say, I love you, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? That's why God created the church. That's why God designed this place this way. So here's my final challenge to you this week. It's this. Plan this week to find someone to encourage this way every day. Find somebody to encourage this way every day this week. Another believer that you can stir up to some good work this week. That you can check in. That you can send a text that says, hey, I'm I'm praying for you. I just wanted you to know that. Or you can pick up the phone and call and say, hey, let's go grab some coffee. Find somebody to to be that, that pebble in their shoe of sanctification this week. God doesn't want us showing up to church going, okay, what do you have for me? He wants us showing up here to this place, to this room saying, how can I serve? What do I have to give? How can I be an encouragement? How can I build somebody up this week? Again, until the day, until he comes back. That's our task, church. It's what we're supposed to do between now and that time. Life-altering events. Maybe some of you in this room will have five kids. Maybe some of you in this room are crazy enough to sit here and go, I want five kids. I want five kids because I have five kids. I didn't before I had five kids, but I do now. They're going to listen to this someday, and they're going to be like, thanks a lot, Dad. Um, yeah, but but things happen, right? Major, monumental things happen that change the course of our life forever. The greatest thing that changes the course of our life forever is what Christ has done for us on the cross. It's a total game changer, unlike anything else. So that no matter what happens to you in life, you always have access to the throne of God. No matter what happens to you in life, you can hold fast to the gospel because you are being held fast by Christ and he's faithful to fulfill his promises. And no matter what happens in life, you have this family right here in this room to lean into, to encourage and be encouraged by time that we are together, anytime that we are apart, until the day of the Lord's return. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for the cross, thankful for the blessings that we have that are realized through the death of Christ and the way that He opened for us so that we can come and we can do what we're doing right now. We can pray and you hear our prayers. Not because of our righteousness, but because we are righteous in Christ and you hear us because He is making intercession for us. He is our great high priest. What an amazing reality. God, give us uh, just an emboldened resolve to hold fast to the confession of our hope this week. No matter what we face, for you are faithful to fulfill your promises. And God, may we be an intentional body of believers that love one another, that are stirring each other up, that are encouraging one another, that uh, that are being intentional and thoughtful as we come and gather together about how we can live out what you've called us to in this passage. Lord, we're thankful for this evening. Pray that our small groups would just be rich and good and great times of fellowship and application. In Christ's name, amen.